Okay, so I'm coming into Spring Valley Road, and I'm driving through a massive puddle, and I'm wondering if I can make it. Here we go. Last week, I took a trip. Oh, boy, that was a lot of water. In the Rocky Mountains, northwest terrifying. of Fort Collins, okay. Colorado. I think if I made it through that, I should be able to make it through the rest of this. There's another giant puddle. This one looks a little bit deeper. Just past Bellevue. Okay, success through the puddles. Wow. I wasn't very well equipped. It's helpful to know I'm driving a Prius through what is definitely four-wheel drive conditions and going through another one. Ooh. Made it. Okay, still continuing on, and it looks like we are finally at what appears to be the beginning of the wolf sanctuary. We are here. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, that is a beautiful wolf. Welcome to Eyes on Conservation. I'm Gregory Haddock. Oh, my God. This is going to be amazing. And it's really starting to rain now. Today you will hear part one of a two-part series on protecting and conserving wolves and their legacy in the Rocky Mountains. Wolf Sanctuary is a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating the public and rescuing as many of the large number of wolves and wolf dogs raised in captivity as they can. These animals were saved from a larger pool of exotic animals in the United States, most of which are either given up or euthanized. Wow, that is some heavy rain. It just literally started pouring as soon as I pulled up into the spot for the trailers. And I gotta be honest, it sounds really cool. Hello? Hi, how you doing? Oh, I'm so sorry we're running a little bit late here. Um, hi, I'm Greg. Michelle, Michelle pleasure nice to meet you. I'm already recording. I hope that's okay. Oh, that's fine. Okay, yeah. good. So, <laughs> does everybody have, like, a lot of trouble getting down here? Uh, it's quite the exciting road, yeah. Yeah, yeah you kind of kind of have to be an adventurer to get in here, for sure. Definitely drove a, a Toyota Prius in here. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun getting out. That'll that'll be a lot of fun for you. Should be good. Yeah. Looking forward to it already. <laughs> An inch and a half of rain is a lot of rain. Um, we, I, I can't remember the Colorado's average, but we definitely don't usually get nearly that much, especially not in the span of just a week. It's usually stretched out over months that we get that much rain in any one storm. So my name is Michelle Prue. And I am the Director of Animal Care and Education here at Wolf Sanctuary, which is a sanctuary for captive-born wolves and wolf dogs in northern Colorado. I was hired in 2008. So Wolf Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that was founded in 1995 to address the issue of people keeping wolves and wolf dogs in captivity in their homes in the cities and towns and trying to help address the problem and the issues surrounding that. So we are a sanctuary that has three main objectives, rescue, sanctuary, and education. And our goal is to improve the quality of life for all wolves and wolf dogs. We do this as, through rescuing animals that are in need of placement, either at our own facility here or through a network of organizations that we work with around the country to f try and find appropriate either sanctuary placement or uh, rescue placement for individuals that people 
are no longer able to care for. The sanctuary aspect of it is the animals that we care for on site. We give permanent lifelong sanctuary to animals we bring into to our facility. Uh, they stay with us from when we get them to when they pass. There's no, no release into the wild rehabilitation. There's no adoptions. They, we pretty much become their forever home. And then we try to do a lot of education in the community to raise awareness about the issue with captive-born wolves and wolf dogs being kept as pets and, and why that's not really a great idea. And also a lot of education on the front of wild wolves and why they're important and why we need to have wolves in the ecosystem and why they need to be in the wild. And just try to stress the wild is where they belong, not, not your backyard. So we've been doing this, like I said, since 1995. It kind of got started by accident. We, The founders of the sanctuary had a friend who had adopted a wolf dog when she was a young puppy, and by three or four months old, they were already intimidated by the puppy. They couldn't handle her. They were going to euthanize her. And the founders took her in, started doing some research about what it takes to take care of a wolf dog appropriately, realized that this was actually a larger issue than they thought, and decided to do something about it by starting a facility that would help find placement for these animals that were being abandoned. And ultimately, it turned out that placement was here uh, at our facility. Um, we can house 30 animals at any one time. That's our maximum capacity, and we are usually operating at capacity. We get hundreds of calls a year from people seeking placement for their wolves and wolf dogs that they can no longer care for. We don't judge you know whatever reason they need to get rid of the animal we try to help in whatever capacity we can whether it's accepting the animal here or finding placement at another facility we try to try to help as many as we can unfortunately there are so many of them and there are so few places that can acceptably take care of them that a lot of these animals do end up being euthanized Wolves are oftentimes considered a keystone species, which means their presence or absence in the environment or in a particular ecosystem can actually influence the health and diversity of that ecosystem. And what we have seen in Yellowstone in particular is that before wolves were reintroduced into the park, we had a very limited diversity in the park, we we had a lot of uh, damage being done by overgrazing of elk uh, to both the plant and, and and animals were being affected by this overgrazing. And what we've seen since wolves have been reintroduced into the park is a little bit uh, more balance in the diversity. We, we're getting fewer elk, but we're getting more of other wildlife such as moose or beaver or bear, birds. Uh, we're even seeing plants coming back into the area uh, that the elk were, were eating away. Uh, they, they really, really like to eat young saplings of like aspens and willows because they don't have the, you know, the nutrients are easier to get to in a young, young plant than an older plant. And so without the elk pretty much eating up all these saplings as they grow or as they sprout, you know, they're, they're allowing them to actually kind of mature a little bit and grow. And we're seeing some, some regeneration of, of those types of mostly riparian ecosystems in the park. And that is, is really good because we do have a 
in many places an overpopulation of these ungulates, deer and elk specifically. And a lot of times we struggle as humans to be able to actually manage these overpopulations, even with hunting tags and those types of management methods, there still seem to be an overabundance of them. So having a, a, a not another method to be able to help control and manage these populations to help um, make sure that we're not overtaxing the environment, to control the spread of disease, and to you know help balance out diversity in some of these areas is very, very important. So being a keystone species kind of you can you can see a difference and there's lots of different keystone species it's not just top predators or or anything you can have like small mammals or reptiles or even insects can be uh, keystone species of uh, that that kind of influence the diversity and health of an ecosystem we try to create just a basic picture we provide a lot of basic information about wolves how they live as a pack, how they communicate, what their job is in the ecosystem. We do a little bit of talking about what does it mean to be a wild animal versus a tame animal versus a domestic animal, Um, you know, what their job is, where do they live. Uh, We'll also cover some, some examples of, you know, the ecologic benefits that have been observed from wolves being in the environment. We'll also talk a little bit on the, the subject of, uh, why have wolves been persecuted? Why why are they being hunted? And and why why isn't there a little bit more of a of a balance in in viewpoint on on the wolves? And then we will get into the subject of how does this these ideas and attitudes towards wolves affect the the captive wildlife crisis where people are bringing these animals into captivity for whatever reason and and how is that helping or hindering the greater idea of of the wolf image which is a lot of what we try to work with is the wolf image i wouldn't call it pr we're we're trying to trying to be more realistic we try try to be as unbiased as possible i mean obviously we work with wolves we we have we have an opinion on them um but you we want we don't want to create more misconceptions through our educational talks and through through our things we want we want to create a realistic opinion because that's that's what really i think is gonna is gonna help ultimately um with with the issue of of wolf conservation in the wild is is to have a have a realistic picture of what they're capable of and what they do and how they benefit and and how we'll need to compromise to be able to live with them what what do we need to do how do we need to to how can we? Uh, and you know that's that's a big question that a lot of really intelligent people are working on. So we're just trying to give give people kind of a baseline of wolf information that they can kind of build their opinions on off of that. Uh, that's the one I'm most familiar with is the Yellowstone reintroduction, and it's the most I think well studied of the the introduction areas because it is a protected park. So you don't have a lot of the same influences where you have outside of these protected areas where you're dealing with um, you know ranching depredation issues, and you're dealing with hunter issues, and you're dealing with you know accidents of, of hitting them with your car as they're crossing the road. All those types of things can kind of influence how they affect the environment because they're more directly involved with people in those areas so yellowstone is is one of the the best studied um you know little microcosms <laughs> if you will uh that that is is where we're getting a lot of this information from at least here in america 
What kind of pushback has there been since the reintroduction? What does that look like? A lot of it, I think you, you've got a lot of pushback from the hunting and ranching communities. Um, they have concerns about losing profits because of depredation on livestock, uh, you know, cattle losses, sheep losses, with wolves especially, um, going after young. You have the hunters who are concerned that with wolves also going after their primary um, sport hunting animals, the elk and the deer, that there, there will be fewer and fewer of those animals available for humans to hunt. And so those, I think, are, are big concerns. Uh, there's also, um, you know, so, so a lot of it's kind of economic and, and uh, issues that, that people are concerned about. And in many ways, they're, they're not satisfied with the current um, management plans for, for dealing with these depredations or dealing with uh, hunting in, in these areas. And that's that's a tricky tricky thing to to talk about because you know you can't really discount their concerns. They they are legitimate concerns. Uh, unfortunately, I think because we're dealing with a lot of antiquated wolf myths, there's a lot of uh, irrational fear involved still. So they there there may be things that have been blown out of proportion as to the the severity of these things, and and I. I think that's probably where, where we get a lot of, a lot of feedback is, is, you know, it's, it's hard to change your mind once you've been raised a certain way. And like I said, wolf is a very, very polarizing issue. You love them or you hate them. There's very few people who are in the middle, kind of like a, meh, I can take them or leave them. I don't really care. And, you know, when, when you're, you so strongly believe in one way or another, it's really hard to, to take a step back and, and look at yourself or look at, look at, what's going on and, and say, okay, what I've been told my whole life, is this true? What, what can I do to find this out? And, and I think it's true for both sides. I think, I think there's, um, you know, the wolf conservationists can be extremely unreasonable about, about their management. And then, and then I think the, the anti-wolf people are also in many ways, um, have some very unreasonable thoughts and, it, it, it's going to be a real struggle, I think, to, to get everybody to come and be able to talk because ultimately we have to compromise. If we're going to learn to live with wolves, we're going to have to compromise. We're going to have to acknowledge that, yes, there are going to be issues with depredation, but we may also need to acknowledge that they're not as extreme as we as, as we like to believe. And coming to some sort of happy medium in the middle, I think, is the only way that we're really going to succeed in coexisting with wolves in the wild. And I hope that through education and, and, and outreach that, that this can, can become a less polarized topic that we can, we can soothe over, um, some of these, these, these anxieties that people have in one direction or the other and, and allow it to be a, a more peaceful conversation about what can we do and how can we make this a better place for, for humans and for wolves. Uh, cause unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, there, there's not a there's not a place on this planet where we can say this is totally dedicated to wolves and and you know we're not going to touch it. We we have to figure out a way to coexist with these animals and pretty much every animal. We have to figure out how we can coexist, how we can make it work so that that their lives are protected and our lives are protected. It's it, we're all on one planet and and this is the only planet we have. 
we we do the best we can. We work really hard at it, and I think we have a fairly decent success rate, but um, we can't save them all, and that, that's really where the education aspect comes in, is if we can educate people about this issue, hopefully we can we can save more animals' lives by creating less of a demand for these animals in the public. Wolves are a, a big topic in, especially grade schools, it seems like they, they always have a section on wolves and the issues surrounding wolves. So we try to give a presentation that gives the basics of, of what a wolf is and what they do to try to create a realistic picture. Because unfortunately, wolves are an extremely controversial topic and their reputation has been blown out of proportion and then you get the other side of the coin where people think that wolves are the best thing since sliced bread the you know god's gift to mankind and you don't really have a very realistic picture of what wolves are in in the world and and what they do and don't do and, and where they fit into a real mortal realm instead of being either put on the pinnacle of evil or the pinnacle of sainthood, essentially. What can they do? What do they do? Where is their role? Where is their place? And, and try to, try to bring them down into, to the realm of reality instead of a, a ideal idealism, uh, either in a negative way or a positive way. There have been some, some situations, especially with like the, the Great Lakes areas where, they felt that wolf populations had recovered enough to allow for state management. Uh, so they were taken off the endangered species list in those states in 2012. And then by 2014, um, they were relisted. The federal government relisted them back because they, I guess, felt that the management plans of those states were not scientifically sustainable populations um, with, with the management plans they had, they had put into place. So, it's it's such a changing world. It's such a changing dynamic. And, you know, right now, is it is it going to be Fed run? Is it going to be state run? How How is it going to work? You know, everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has their own idea um, as, as to what what is appropriate and what is acceptable. And I think uh, I, I think some some places have probably created fairly decent plans. And there's been others that have obviously been deemed uh, not very ecologically sound for for sustainable populations. It, it's an awful world to even want to follow. So it, it can be. It really, really can be. There's a lot of very sad things that go on um, when it comes to conservation, especially when it comes to predator conservation. Predators get a bad rap. People are scared of them. They feel that they're dangerous or threatening or you know, in, in whatever way to either human safety or, or to, to pet safety or even just prey animal safety, you know, like what we like to hunt, um, that, that it's, it's, it's a hard topic to discuss and, and you, you get hot tempers on, on both sides of the issue. Well, I'm going to have more questions for you for sure, but I'm wondering if we should probably get outside while the sun is still going. Yeah, we can absolutely go take a walk. Does that sound good? Yeah, that okay. sounds great. Um, maybe kind of just describe the compound here, like the size of it, where it's located. Okay. So we are located in northern Colorado, in the foothills of northern Colorado. We have a 180-acre property here that we house 30 animals on. Each group is kept in a group of two 
to three individuals in a roughly a half acre enclosure uh, that's situated on an actually fairly steep canyon mountainside. If you if you look up, it's actually quite quite the hike, almost vertical in some places. Certainly, it feels that way when you're walking it trying to poop scoop. Um, and uh, you know, wooded, really really densely wooded pine forest that we've got here that the animals get a lot of kind of natural enrichment with. They've got rocks and trees and bushes to help keep them entertained, uh, allow them the chance to kind of be wolves, really, is what we try to offer them here at the sanctuary. So we're, we're, it's just amazing. I'm just overwhelmed right now. If you say we're explaining this to somebody who does not have the ability to see, like, where would you begin to paint that picture? the the sound of the place um you know with the exception of the generator which we need for power because we're completely off the grid we don't have any kind of electricity coming in it's actually very very quiet you can hear wind rustling through the leaves you can hear the the croak of frogs or crickets um lots of different birds will come calling through sometimes you'll hear the cry of a hawk Uh, and then of course you get the the wolves joining in on the story and telling their their part of it it's it's very clean there there's not a lot of um pollution smells you know not a lot of this this gas or rubber or concrete it's very very earthy very natural especially like right now right after a rain you've got that kind of moisture in the air and it just really brings all these wonderful scents up and of course you've got all these wildflowers blooming in the area that are that are just kind of adding to this this ambiance that you're you're walking through and we're in a we're in a canyon so we've got steep ridges on either side which kind of insulate we have our own little micro universe going on right here in the in the canyon so it's this long straight road that runs straight through the facility and all of the enclosures kind of come up to the edge of this road so you can just essentially take a walk like you're walking on a on a a nice wide trail and just encounter all these different wolves as you go down and you see these trees and bushes and and huge tall ponderosa pines and and spruces and firs in there that you can kind of be shaded with and and the aspen trees that are along the creek here. We have a creek running through the center of the facility so you get that kind of, uh, especially usually after a rain or in the spring, you'll get the sound of the tumbling over little rocks and waterfalls as it goes down. There's lots of this green grasses and trees and bushes and and then sparkling, you know, here and there, smattering of this color, yellows and purples and reds from the, the flowers, the wildflowers that are blooming. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's really kind of a magical place down here. I, I'm very blessed that I get to come here and have this be my job every day instead of like a cubicle in an office. You would hate where I work. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Not enough outside time. So the two, (laughs) highway aho. He he likes to talk. Um, he, 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 he likes to talk to people. So the ones you're seeing in this enclosure here, the one who's sitting down looking at us, this is Loki. He was rescued from a breeder up in Alaska who was running kind of a a roadside zoo breeding operation. And uh, he basically spent his entire life until he was rescued on an eight-foot chain uh, being on display to tourists coming through. And if you liked what you saw, if it was during breeding season, you could pay to bring a puppy home from Alaska as a souvenir. 
the one who's over there, uh, Mark in her territory, she's the one thrashing. Her name is Zoe. She is actually from Illinois. Uh, she was being kept as a fur farm where they would uh, pelt the fur for coats or boots or whatever happened. And that fur farm got shut down. The gentleman was primarily raising foxes, but uh, also had 15 wolves. And she's one of the wolves that he had at the fur farm. Are you coming down? Hi, Loki. Hi, Zoe. And that's their next door neighbor, Wayaho. He's he's singing to us. He's he's not so happy about strangers. So we'll actually go in and meet one of these guys here. Uh, we're we'll go in and see Outlaw. Outlaw is one of our mid-content wolf dogs. Um, see if he wants to come down and say hi to us. Hi. Hi. Oh yeah, bit right into the beard. That was good. <laughs> that hurt like heck. Sometimes he pulls on. You really want to bite on. He likes to pull hair. He likes to pull on hair. I think he thinks it's our version of the tail. So Outlaw here was adopted um, by a woman out of Utah. She was looking for a service animal and he was at a shelter. The shelter staff told her that he was a German Shepherd Husky mix, probably two years old. She adopted him, went through a number of different trainers trying to get him trained up to be a service animal before one of the trainers uh, accurately identified him as a wolf dog and said, well, that's probably why he's not working as a service animal is because you have a wolf dog rather than a dog. And um, do you know that there are places that will take these animals at a sanctuary? And he's probably going to be better there than in any type of service capacity. And it was actually really cute because she um, she had the trainer write a letter of recommendation for him to come to the sanctuary. And she still contacts us about him and he asks how he's doing and wants to wants to keep up to date. And, um, you know, it was, it was actually kind of sad when she brought him to us because she kept saying, I promised him a forever home and I'm going back on my word. And we just kept telling her, nope, you kept your word. He, you gave him a forever home. It just wasn't with you. Uh, we'll probably get to see a few of them come out to say hi now that the weather's cleared up a little bit. There they go. A lot of people always ask, like, when do they howl? Do they howl at the moon? How often do they howl as a group or do they howl individually? Uh, and they howl periodically throughout the day, but they not as frequently as most people think. It's not a 24-7 constant howling. Usually they'll howl for maybe a minute, maybe two, and then stop. But it's, it's sporadic during the day. It varies on, on what causes it and what motivates it. The only time I have observed that you will reliably get a howl from the group is actually at sunrise. Every single day at sunrise, you'll get a group howl. Everyone will join in. It's kind of like everyone's checking on everybody else saying, hey, I'm still here. Is everyone else still here? And it's always at sunrise. Why will these wolves not be reintroduced into the wild? There are a number of different reasons why the animals we take in won't be reintroduced. Uh, I guess the first one and probably most obvious one is that they've all been born in captivity. 
These animals have all been bred to be sold as pets or to be used in fur farms or to be used as tourist attractions. So they don't have the knowledge and skills to be able to survive in the wild on their own. It's possible that they could learn those, but the chances of them being accepted into a wild pack or learning those skills before they starved is very, very low. Um, you know, they, they may have an instinctive, instinctive, sorry, uh, behavior pathway that's, you know, chase, bite, kill, um, but that's very different from, you know, chase, bite, kill squirrel versus chase, bite, kill bison. <laughs> and you try the same method that you use on the squirrel, on the bison, you're probably going to die. Um, so there's a lot of learning that goes into surviving in the wild. It's not just all instinct. It's not just all nature. There is a lot of nurture in there. Another thing with releasing these animals into the wild, which kind of piggybacks off that, is that these animals, whether they're comfortable being around people or not, have all been raised by people and understand that people are a source of food. So if they were released into the wild and they were unsuccessful at hunting a deer or going after a rabbit, they may seek out hanging around, you know, towns and, 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 and homes to go in to get into the garbage or maybe go for, for, you know, a, a cat or a small dog, um, or, or maybe some livestock. They're not by being raised by people. They don't have that same innate reluctance to be around people that a wild wolf would have, um, because they've learned that, that people have food already. They've, they've learned that since puppyhood, since day one, they've learned that people have food. They may have also learned that people are mean and not very nice and should be avoided, but they also know that they have food. So releasing them would probably just cause more problems, uh, for, for not only the individual wolf, but the image of wolves in general, the, the bigger picture, you'd be, you'd be intentionally releasing animals that would, would be known to cause problems and and that happens you know with a lot of animals even just you know domestic you know feral dogs can cause a lot of problems if they're let out or feral cats can cause a lot of problems um being being out in in the community and not and not cared for just because of their familiarity with people and their their unwillingness to 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 run away um and i guess the the less obvious reason for why we don't release is because even with animals that we think are very high content or may even possibly be a pure wolf, we don't know 100% for sure if that is a pure wolf. Even with genetic testing, there is a degree of error there. And to release an animal into the wild that isn't a pure wolf, if it is a wolf dog, um, and, and allow that to participate in a wild population as a breeding individual would be very ecologically irresponsible. Uh, you would be essentially intentionally polluting the wild genetics of the wolf, which is already strained enough as it is. And uh, if enough of if it happened enough times, we would end up with a wild dog species rather than a wild wolf. And we would effectively be causing the genetic extinction of the species by genetically swamping it with dog DNA by releasing wolf dogs. Do you have any idea how many animals are getting euthanized because they can't find a proper sanctuary? It's estimated that there are somewhere around 250,000 wolves and wolf dogs uh, in the United States as pets currently. And who knows how many are born every year. But uh, for all exotics, including wolves and wolf dogs, usually 80% of them are euthanized before they turn two years old. 
So that's a lot of animals out there that are being euthanized because people just can't care for them. And that's that's kind of a generalized statistic for all exotics, which includes, you know, chimpanzees, tigers, alligators, those types of things. If they can't just let them go into the wild, euthanasia is really the only other option for them. Um, and since there are such a large number of wolf dogs, wolf dogs seem to, to take the brunt of that statistic. What other kind of stories do you know of, of people who have looked for sanctuary or looked for some sort of alternative and just had to make that decision? I mean, have you have you have you been party to that to know like sit there and see that unfold? Luckily, no, I haven't. Um, I I don't I don't know if I have the the strength to be able to be that intimately involved. We have an absolutely amazing woman who does rescue coordinating and she, she puts her heart and soul into helping these animals. And unfortunately she gets to see the, 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 the worst of the worst. Um, she did tell me a story, which just broke my heart where we got contacted about this, this wolf dog that some people had taken it, uh, uh, in off the street and had cared for it, had done all this work on it, and uh, unfortunately it, it ended up in a fight, I, th- I think a fight with another dog. And um, the one of the people contacted us about finding placement, and we sent out an alert on the network. We, we found a place, all, we never happens, we found a place that would take them within like an hour of sending this alert out, and we called the family back and said, we have a place and couldn't get a hold of them. We called and called and called. I think we, we called regularly before we got a hold of anybody. And when we finally got a hold of them, we said, you know, we found a place. They're on their way to pick her up. They'll be there, you know, fairly soon. And they said, oh, well, we've decided just to euthanize her anyway. And we were like, well, have you euthanized her yet? No, we haven't. We'll, t- you know, but the vet's on the way. We'll call the vet. You know, tell him, tell him not to euthanize. You know, just just to, to go back home, and and we'll be there. We'll be there shortly. We can take this animal. We have a home for him. And they said, nope, no. Uh, I know we called you for help. We wanted to place this animal, but we've decided it's easier just to euthanize. And we had placement. We had transport. We had everything arranged. And and they still decided it would be better for them or or more economical, more efficient. I I don't know exactly their reasoning for it. Um, so there are definitely some heartbreaks out there, and and I I'm very thankful that I don't have to deal with that, and I'm I'm even more thankful for uh, the the rescue coordinator that we have, for being able to 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 try to help these animals, knowing that that may ultimately be what happens, and knowing that that there are some we're not going to be able to help. That that's that takes a really really strong person um, to be able to do that. Huh, buddy. Probably almost everything to do with wolf legislation uh, is is most people are unaware of unless you're very heavily involved in that particular activity. Um, yeah, there, there's essentially uh, a, a big push right now to get wolves permanently delisted from the Endangered Species Act for now and forever so that they can never be put back on or that listing of wolves, particularly on the Endangered Species Act, is, should be a political decision rather than a scientific decision. 
Um, you know, there's always individual states uh, that that have different issues going on with wolves on on management or or you know uh, the state of Colorado. Um, the, I think that I think last year it was there was a, a, a people were trying to bring up the idea of uh, allowing. Mexican wolves to come back into the state of Colorado into the kind of the four corners area. And I know that there was kind of this, this group effort between Colorado and Utah and another, another of them that basically said, Nope, never, ever, ever will we allow wolves to come back in, you know, and there's, there's a lot of those types of things where you've got a lot of this back and forth and and one side and another, and, and how do you make this work and all these, all these types of things. So it's, it's a constantly fluid and dynamic and changing environment. And, and unfortunately it seems like it's, it's not very favorable for the wolves at this point in time. It seems like it's kind of going the opposite direction on conservation. Um, so if you're interested in wolves and you want to learn more and you want to really help, I would say start by looking local. If you're in an area where wolves are currently, um, and just try to figure out what's, what's going on in your state, what the problem is, what the opposition is, what the, the, the pros versus cons, and, and just try to get involved that way, speak out, be an advocate, uh, you know, sitting silently in your house and fuming over the injustices of the world is well and good, but it's not going to make any change. And I know it's really hard to get up and, and sit there and be, I'm just one person. What can I do? But if every single one person who thought that actually stood up and went outside and said, this is what I think, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, I think we could get some change in there and, and, it's, it's such a such a touchy topic. It is that's the big problem. Is it's it's so there's so much change because it's so volatile. Uh, I find that very depressing. Yeah. <laughs> the noisy one is uh, a wolf dog mid content, <laughs> and the the quiet one is a high content wolf dog. So this one here is Spartacus. If you want, you can kind of put your hand up, let him see you. High content wolf. Yes. The little black one. She's our baby. She's only about 15 months old. I don't know how often people ask you this, but uh, or even mention it, but like Hollywood portrayals. So you know Liam Neeson, the Gray. Get up! Did not work out very well for him and his his entourage. What's wrong with Hollywood? I think it's it's not so much what's wrong with Hollywood as as it is um, people's innate desire to find a convenient bad guy. Uh, I I label wolves as a scapegoat species, kind of like snakes and sharks. You know, it's it's convenient to to be scared of them. It's convenient to hate them. It's convenient to put them in the role of 
the devil, of the demon, of the monster. And it's, it's done that way for, for centuries. I mean, Native Americans, not so much, but European, which, you know, modern America is very heavily based off of our European colonists, uh, have a lot of very scary, very intimidating myths and legends and and attitudes toward wolves that we brought over with us and we have just perpetuated and built upon and you know it's 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 frankenstein's monster it's it's a classic villain a lot of people still respond to that that in a very visceral way and it makes it makes for great television to have you know the werewolf or to have you know these these scary monsters in the woods that 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 come after you it's it's a great thematic um device it's it's a really great theme to use to create that drama because we have that history that that mythology that backing that we've built on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to to pull this 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 convenient scapegoat out and say we need a bad guy for our story you know well we've got sharks well we did jaws um you know we we have snakes well there, there's anaconda snakes on a plane like all these different terrifying oh my goodness well what about wolves well we've got all these werewolf stories and and the gray and i think a lot of it is just kind of that that history that that already pre-programmed stories that we hear even from little children. You know, every kid knows the story of Little Red Riding Hood. We know how she met the big bad wolf in the woods on her way to Grandma's house. We know how the wolf got to Grandma's house first and disguised himself as Grandma. What big eyes you have and what big teeth you have and blah, 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 and rescued by the woodcutter at the last minute, etc., etc. Every kid knows the story of the three little pigs and big bad wolf. Open the door and let me in! I mean, you, you get... If you go to a children's bookstore, you'll find like 12, 13 different variations of the story, even written within the last like five years. That's not including all the ones that have been written before that. So these are very popular ideas and, and stories that we're hearing since since way little. So it just makes sense for Hollywood to continue using that. Um, now, I, 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 I don't agree with it. I think I think they're doing a lot of damage. You know, certainly Jaws didn't help the image of sharks at all, uh, made that that a very, very negative connotation. So it, it can do a lot of damage to use them this way. Um, but I think when you're when you're thinking about the entertainment business and you're thinking about what people want to see and what's going to scare them or what's going to do that, you want it. You want to pull from what people already believe or feel or think. And, and unfortunately, there are just a number of species out there that already have that, that evil label, um, mostly undeserved. If you love wolves, what is the best thing you can do for them? If you love wolves, uh, the best thing certainly isn't to put one in your home. <laughs> that, that is uh, not the best thing for the animal there. I would say if you love wolves and you want to help, uh, the best thing you can do is educate yourself about wolves and try not to be judgmental of, of other people's beliefs um, by, by getting in someone's face and saying, no, 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 you're wrong. You're not going to get through to them. You're not going to make a connection. You're just going to cause them to pull up the drawbridge and, you know, start getting ready to, to dump you with boiling oil if you get too close to the walls. Um, so, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people on, on either side, that's the big problem is, is that it's, it's you, you, you hear or you encounter somebody with a different viewpoint and you immediately, you know, go on 
you're like, they are going to attack me for my beliefs and they are going to attack me for my viewpoints and I must be ready to defend myself. Well, forest conservation, you know, I, I think, I think, I think we've, we've messed that up, um, uh, by a lot of it by, by, fire suppression. We haven't allowed these forests to be healthy, which is is specifically here in Colorado a big reason of why we have such overcrowded, unhealthy forests, which have is pretty much provided an ideal habitat for uh, pine beetles. That and the the uh, climate change making things warmer and drier. We're not getting those hard, cold freezes that are killing off the pine beetle. So essentially we've gotten to a point where because we haven't been allowing fires to regularly take out the sick and the diseased trees we have entire forests of unhealthy dying trees so when a when a forest fire strikes it just explodes it's it's like pouring gasoline on a on a fire um and it just it just goes crazy so i think it's very important that we try to start uh, managing our forests a little bit better uh at, at this point unfortunately i don't think allowing nature to to do its work is necessarily the the most appropriate thing because at this point it causes a lot of damage and there's a lot of recovery that needs to happen afterwards. But uh, it's definitely important. We need we need to preserve these forests. We need to preserve these wild spaces, uh, not only for the animals that, that live there and that we share our, our habitat with, but for us. I mean, there's there's so much to be gained from being able to go out into into the desert or out into the mountains and and to be to be part of that that it's it's relaxing it's reinvigorating and it's it's a essential part of life i think to be able to just kind of get away and reconnect and if if we don't start protecting these places and if we allow them all to be developed or logged or or fracked for oil we're we're going to lose all these spaces and we're going to we're going to be trapped in in a concrete prison and and we're not going to have any way to to disconnect and recharge and and reconnect with with what it means to be um that part of this planet rather than separate and above uh i which i know seems to be where where uh, a lot of, a lot of people think is, is that we're not part of this we're above it and and really we're 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 all interconnected it's all one big thing what would you say to farmers who maybe be on the side of uh being concerned about releasing uh wolves into into the wild again um, I think that they do have valid concerns. You know, that that is their livelihood. Their their families are dependent on this. Farming and ranching is not an easy industry to be in. Um, but I I do think there there are are ways that that we can try to to work together where we can mitigate those those issues and those losses that are uh, of a non lethal variety. Um, you know, there, there's been some some people working with uh, sheep herders in, I believe, Montana, Montana, yeah, uh, Idaho, Montana area, um, where they're using, you know, uh, herd protecting dogs. Um, they're using things like fladry in order to, you know, scare. It's basically cloth tied to, to ropes that they string out around their flocks that uh, flap in the wind and scare scare wolves away. And they, they've actually had some pretty, pretty good successes. So, you know, it's it's not that wolves won't depredate. Um, it has and does and probably will continue to happen. Uh, I think that the 
the level of depredation is much lower than than people would like to to believe and i believe that there are definitely ways that we can try to help to manage this in in a a non-lethal way in a way that doesn't involve killing wolves or killing all wolves um i do feel that you know they they do have concerns and that you know lethal control while it's certainly i i don't i don't like it and i don't i don't feel it's appropriate um in in 99% of the situations you know i'm not i'm not advocating that it completely be pulled off the table there may be a situation where it's necessary but i would like to see if we can't figure out a way to try as many of these non-lethal options first mm. um you know i i want to try to coexist as best we can and and i'm not going to sit there and tell them that they they can't ranch or they shouldn't or 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 that they just need to to suck up and deal because i know i would i would be be very upset if a chunk of my paycheck just suddenly disappeared and you know i was planning on using that to 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 buy a new uh, a new water heater or whatever it was and suddenly i can't and and so it's it's a legitimate concern i think for them um and i don't want to belittle that i I think that's that's inappropriate to to just say whatever you know deal um but I, I, I do I do hope that we can get to a point where we can try to consider non-lethals for for management and control. And, and uh, I hope that and I truly believe that non-lethals can be more effective at protecting livestock from depredation um, than than um, than lethal control can. And, and I and I hope that we can kind of get get to a, to a point where we can we can look at what science is telling us. And, and, and view science for, for what it is rather than what we want it to be. Um, you know, I'm not from a ranching industry. I, I don't truly have first-person experience on how difficult it truly is. And they certainly are a, a beautiful, wonderful species that has a very important job in, in making this planet the beautiful, wonderful place it is. And I think, I think we would be missing a lot if they were to disappear off the landscape entirely. So I believe it is very, very important that we work to conserve them, that we work to save them, and that, that we work to, to coexist with them. And that, that's the big thing, is, is figuring out how to, how to coexist with, with everybody, not just nature lovers like myself, not just conservationists, but with everybody uh, here. That's, that's going to that's, that's be the most important thing we can do, and, and I think it's possible. I really, I really do. It, it's not going to be easy, but I think it's possible. People can reach us. Uh, they can call us over the phone. Uh, you can email us, info at wolfsanctuary.net. You can also check out our website, which is wolfsanctuary.net. Uh, it has all the information about our organization, what we do, uh, all of the animals that we have. Also gives a little bit of a resource for people looking to surrender animals. Uh, how can they contact us and 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 what we need from them. That's all listed out on our website, uh, as well as all of our volunteering opportunities, internship opportunities to, to get involved with, with the sanctuary. If you want to just help the issue in general, uh, I guess the, the biggest thing I can say is, is educate yourself and educate others. Um, uh, specifically for what we do about the captive wildlife crisis, what's going on, that it even exists. Most people don't even realize there is a thing such as a wolf dog, let alone that there are about 250,000 of them out there and that 80 to 90% of them are killed before they're, you know, two years old. That you tell people that and they just, they just jaw drops to the floor. 
So educating about that, talking about that, helping people understand that issue uh, is going to be very, very important to making a difference in the lives of animals across the country, not just the ones that we care for here, but animals across the country that are dealing with these situations and being in these situations. And I highly, highly encourage people not to get an exotic as a pet. The way we're going to make a difference, the way we're going to make changes is to is to not create demand. On the front of, you know, wild wolves, how can you help them? Um, you can always donate to organizations like Defenders of Wildlife or the Nature Conservancy, um, World Wildlife Fund, all these, all these places that are working to try to preserve legislation that is trying to protect... Um, natural areas and and places where we can still coexist with these animals. Know know what's going on in your local community about about the issue, conservation issues, and it doesn't even have to be wolves. I mean, there's so many conservation issues out there that that it, you, you can get involved with and you can help with that'll ultimately benefit more than just one species of animal. That's great, Michelle. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. We, we enjoyed talking to you. I, I have one more question for you. Sure. If I get stuck on the way out of here, are you going to help me out? Uh, I do have a tow rope. I might be able to pull you. Yeah, we've, we've done it in the past. <laughs> this might be the end of the Prius. To be continued. Thank you again so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. The Wolf Sanctuary is really something else. It's not just about protecting captive-born wolves and wolf dogs, but it's also about trying to educate people about the plight of the wolf in general. As Michelle said, a wolf is a keystone animal, and when you remove it from the environment, it has catastrophic effects that ripple throughout the entire ecosystem. These are the kinds of things we don't think about when we read The Three Little Pigs or Red Riding Hood or watch the very talented Liam Neeson in The Grey. There are real compromises that can work for most people, be that hunters or farmers, ranchers, conservationists, wildlife protectors. Michelle is convinced that there are compromises that can be made that will benefit everybody to save these beautiful animals and preserve the wildlife the way it was intended to be. It's truly difficult to overstate how beautiful it is here. the creek that just trickles below the birds, the way the sun bounces off the trees and pokes just enough light into the canyon to light up the whole side of it. When the wolves howl, there's nothing like it and it encompasses the entire canyon. There's nothing that's not swallowed up by that beautiful sound. And it truly feels that being here is this magical moment. For more information on Michelle Pru and the work she and the rest of the team at Wolf Sanctuary are doing, you can check out their website and great resources at wolfsanctuary.net. Stay tuned for part two of this story when I speak with Mike Phillips, director of the Turner Endangered Species Fund, former field coordinator for the Red Wolf Recovery Program, and former project leader of Greater Yellowstone's Gray Wolf Restoration Project. 
You can find out more about the show on the show's note page at wildlensinc.org backslash EOC159. Show music is brought to you by The Humidors. If you like today's episode, please consider checking out my show, The Majority Villain Podcast, a podcast I host and produce dedicated to democratizing the planet both politically and ecologically. Thanks again for listening to Eyes on Conservation. I'm Gregory Haddock.